get into this tonight. So as um, you know, the old Baptists like to say, I won't be before you long. So I'm going to try and get this going, right? So let's look at John chapter five. And, and you know, the title here, I don't have a man. Let's unpack Bethesda because this really stood out to me today and I never noticed it before because we like to go ahead and jump ahead to, I believe it's verse, um, doo -doo -doo, everybody jumps to verse eight, but we overlook a very important portion um, of verse seven. So let's look at it here. But first let us say, Father God, you say where two of our two or more of us are gathered, there shall you be. So I ask that you come in, put your blessing over this word, put your blessing over this teaching, remove me so that just your word comes through and touches the heart of someone that needs to hear this message tonight. In your son Jesus' name, amen. All right, we always have to bless the word before we move forward, right? So let's look at it here. We're in John 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Another important part there went up up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, and I'm coming out of the New King James Version. Um, I like the New King James Version or the King James Version. So now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is in which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. But one thing to note, you know, if you're looking at the Aramaic version of it, Bethesda also means house of mercy, right? So in this house of mercy, verse three, in, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For, verse four, for an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And I'm going to put a pen there. So let's look at here. Bethesda, right? It's considered the house of mercy. There lay great multitudes. I mean, can you imagine the amount of people that were laying there waiting? for a healing, right? The sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, just waiting for a moving of this water, right? But then the thing that came to me today as I was studying in this is, you know, was it really a house of mercy? Because there had to be some trampling and I almost equated it to, um, you see those videos where there's a sale somewhere at a store and there is no mercy. People are trampling each other to be the first to get those sale items, running over each other, stepping on people's backs and necks, trying to be first to get those sale items. So when that water stirred, can you imagine the calamity trying to be first? Now the simple person that just had, you know, maybe a broken finger, you know, uh, you know, maybe something wrong, twitching in their eye, a head or something simple, they were like, I can get to this water. I'm going to get to this water before you because you don't have any arms or legs. So to me, mercy being, you know what? You seem like you a little more, oh, I think you need to get in this water before I do. And grabbing that brother or sister there and pulling and saying, you know what? Let me just throw you into this water. So it, it poses the question since it was called the house of mercy, the pool of Bethesda. Was there really mercy shown there? And it really made me Think about that, right? As we were going through it. So let's look here back at verse five. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? And I want to put a 
pen and six and also note and depending on your version i know my version it has in that condition in italics and what that tells you as you're studying is that there was no exact equivalent of the hebrew the um the aramaic or the greek translation so they tried to come as close and put that passage to transform it into the english idiom to transform it into english so when you see something in italics like that in the scripture they they tried to come as close to english as they could get so if you note in verse six it says in that condition a long time he said to him do you want to be made well the sick man answered him sir I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Was there really mercy at the house of mercy? It just makes you ask as you read on through this. I know it does for me, right? But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And I want to stop there before I go into eight. And one of the things that I want to look at is how God often will wait and show his, uh, his divinity, right? So verse 5 tells us the man was there for 38 years with this infirmity. So God, uh, when Jesus appears there on the scene, right, he, he, he didn't look around and say, well, you know what? I think I can probably heal this one a little bit fast. He wasn't picking and choosing, right? Most often he will go for the one that the doctors have written off. Everybody has given up hope on the impossible, right? And in our prayer group, there's a lady, she's been in a coma for five years. And I believe without a doubt, you know, and I prayed for her last Wednesday. I believe 100% without a doubt, she will come out of that and it will amaze the doctors, you know, and doing my prayer, you know, I just said, you know, Lord, put your divine hand over this lady. And when the nurses and the doctors who discounted her out and say she's just taking up a space in this bed, we know God has the last say, you know, come in with the miracle signs and wonders so that they can say, how did this happen? This isn't supposed to be. And when she's laying there awake for her to say, but God, to show God's divinity and then to be able to go on and evangelize to others, right? That's the one of the most important things in that. Hey, Julie, welcome. Glad to see you coming in, right? So those that the doctors say, you will never walk again. This child won't survive. You know, I say you go ahead and terminate now because if this child comes into the world, uh, they're not gonna survive. They're not gonna be able to do anything for themselves. But how many times have we seen God's divinity step in you have them to go and leave full functional lives and leaving the doctors and nurses and hospitals and top medical specialists just like, how, how is this possible, right? Because God does the impossible, right? They gather all the family members and say, this is it. Call them. This is the last chance. And that person lives many, many years, sometimes often beyond family members that in to say their last words sometimes well beyond the doctors and nurses that say yeah i think it's time to go ahead and pull the cord but god steps in with his divinity and says uh-uh i'm gonna show up and show you who i am and what i can do right because he always has that last say so he'll wait until the very minute when there is no hope left and just stop in and just mesmerize us with his power right so i wanted to point that out in regards to verse five now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 30 
eight years. God showed up to this man and showed his divinity, his power, right? Through Jesus, what is possible, what he can do. It's just amazing. And, and I mean, I can stick and stay just on verse five and just being in awe of like, wow, look how God showed up. And I'm telling you, and when you go back in verse three and look where it says a great multitude, not one, not two, not five, not 20, a multitude. That is a lot of sick people that were laying there. Hey, Sandra, in the house of mercy, Bethesda, a lot of people. So when Jesus walks onto the scene and, and walks up to this man who had been in this infirmity for 38 years and just brought his divine presence onto the scene, amen. You can't help but say amen, somebody. Come on now. So let's look here. So when we have these court cases, you know, wayward children, when people say, give up on them, just let them go and take, you know, uh, just keep running the streets. Let them, you know, there's no chance for them. There's no hope for them. Just give up on them. You know, stop praying for them. Why are you on your knees praying, right? When your finances are bleak, when people saying, yeah, you may as well go and get them boxes and start packing and start calling shelters and see if there's a place for you to go. Your marriage is on the brink and people are saying, yeah, this divorce is definitely going to go through, right? Chemical dependencies, people saying, you've been a crackhead for 40 years. Ain't no point in you trying to give that up, right? You've been an alcoholic for 50 years. You may as well keep on drinking, right? Because your liver's just clapping every time you take a drink. And if you stop now, you, you ain't never going to be able to give up. Those are the things that the enemy likes to put us in our in our minds and keep us beside that pool of affirmity, right? Keep us down thinking there is no way out of this. So I may as well keep on keeping on the song says, right, that there is no deliverance from wayward sexual practices. Well, I've been doing this immoral, um, immoral, um, in this immoral sex life for the last 40 years, I may as well stay in it now. And I'm quite sure if I go through the scripture, I can find some sort of way to make it seem like all of this is okay. Amen. You feeling what I'm saying? Y'all following me out there, right? So whatever people have come in, there is no way you can win that court case. Mm -mm, the devil is alive because God will always step in with his divinity and turn that situation around. Right? I'm telling you, I just so enjoyed this study today. Let's look at verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. This is the section that I want to unpack. Again, because most of the time, if this is coming out of a pulpit, we, it, it, that part is overlooked. And it really stood out to me today. Usually, you go on from the pulpit into Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the sermon is preached from that aspect, but we're going to come from, and we're going to unpack seven. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. I have no man, right? Mm. Think about what that's saying. Think about what the man looked up and said to Jesus. But sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When Jesus asked him, 
do you want to be made well? He was in this condition for so long thinking he needed another man to come along, another person to drag him into that. When he had the almighty standing over him saying, do you want to be made well? But his mind was so conditioned in that affirmity that he said, I have no man, right? That's the way that we often end up, right? So, you know, I always like to pose the question, put a question before you, right? So the question I ask is, how often has God said, leaned over and whispered to you and said, do you want to be made well? But because of a past or present circumstance, you're still feeling dependent and saying, God, I know you're offering me your help, but I don't have a man to help me into the pool. I don't have a woman friend to come along and help me out to dump all of my problems on. I don't have anybody. When you have the almighty saying, do you want to be made well? So that's my question that I put in between this. How often has God just leaned down and whispered, do you want to be made well, right? And, and, and you know, it, 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 it's it's a complacency, right? I have no man, right? I, I, I don't have anybody here. But then you have to ask, is the complaint really that you don't have a person, right, to help you in? It could be that you've had so many people to supposedly help you along the way, right? Supposedly help you along the way, but you end up abandoned. You end up feeling more empty uh, and you end up feeling more worthless. You end up feeling of less value. You end up more hurt than when you accepted the help from that person, right? And it makes me think how many people maybe said, man, you know what? You've been here for, th you've been here for 38 years, man. Let me help you in. Uh, and they get them halfway there and say, look, I'm sorry, man. I got to leave you here because this water is about to stop stirring. I got to go ahead and jump in. Sorry, bro. You know, how many times have we had that happen? So you can't help but ask, is the complaint really that I have no man or I've had a few people in my life, a few men or women that have abandoned me and have left me with trauma and devastation that's so deep that I just continue to sit here for 38 years in my affirmity. However long it is you've been holding on to that baggage, right? Did somebody promise you to get you to that water that they come along and say, guess what? It's a place down here. Let me tell you about it. When the water starts stirring, you can be healed. I can take you to a place like no other. Let me tell you about them sweet-talking people, right? The tongue just so smooth. The next thing you know, you on the roller coaster ride of your life, and you saying, I did not pay for this ride. I don't want to keep my hands and feet in. I want to get off right now. Amen. You follow me? You see what I'm saying with this, right? One of those smooth talkers that promised you the world or it may be somebody that came along and, and, and a lot of and this happens a lot with I was talking with another friend of mine and we talked about the fact that broken people are able to clearly identify the brokenness in another broken person and to make oneself feel better as I discussed in my book I oftentimes took my brokenness suppressed it down looked at all the broken holes in another person and said I can fix that. I can be every and any 
thing that you need me to be. Those people that come in and they see your vulnerability and they take advantage of that. And you think they're taking you to a place of restoration and a place of healing, but to only in the end find yourself in a place of abandonment, laying beside a pool saying, but sir, but dear God, Jesus, I have no man to help me into the water, right? Or that person, <laughs> they get you there and then they say, you know what? Mm, hold on, I'm going to be right back. And then you never see them again. The phone doesn't ring. When you try and call them, all of a sudden, doo -doo -doo, or you automatically get sent to voicemail, right? Or <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Somebody out there can relate to this, right? People trying to take you to places for healing that they can by no means provide you and you just end up stuck in that rut right same thing you know and, and not just relating this you know to women there have been men that this has happened to you know the sister comes along and before they like mm, look at him oh he a ugly looking mess but then he gets to the register and he opens up that wallet and the black card and the mastercard and the discover and that big old thick roll of bills is in there then her eyes and her mind start to see him differently then he walks out boop boop Opens that car. Oh, that's a nice car. Hmm. Hey, how you doing? You know, the hold of me. Hey, how you doing? Oh, you smell real nice. Oh, you look real nice. But he didn't look so nice before until you saw the things that's in there, right? And, and just butting you up so good and just making you feel, oh, did you work? Have you been working out? You just look so buff and fit and the stomach can be hanging down to his knees. Oh, you just look so fit and fine. I just like a man of your caliber. Why don't we get together? Let's exchange numbers, right? But you don't realize the only signs that she's seeing as her head are the dollar signs that's in your wallet and supposedly in that car and seeing that M period, R period, dot S period sign going off in her head. And then the next thing you know, mm -mm -mm, you done ended up by left by the pool. Oh, Bethesda, waiting for mercy, and the Lord saying, do you want to be made well? Amen? And what this creates is a spirit of rejection. Rejection produces fruit, and it's bitter fruit. It's not a fruit that you walk up and grab and say, mmm, this is a juicy orange. Oh, this is a nice peach. You know, this is good fruit. Rejection produces bitter fruit. Some of the fruit that it produces is you find yourself comparing your circumstance or your situation to others, but you never seem to mail up. Uh, to measure up to that, right? No matter how you try and compare, you're like, um, no, I just don't measure up. No, I don't see how I fit in. You feel like you missed out on all of life's opportunities. And you say, well, it's too late now. I may as well keep on doing what I'm doing. I may as well just keep laying here by this pool. I know this man has looked at me and said, do I want to be made well? But too late now, right? No amount of encouragement can, it, it, it can convince you of your worth. A thousand people can sit and pour into you and, and just rest you and say, my God, do you not see what we see in you? Nothing can convince you of your worth. These are bitter fruits that come from rejection. You feel instantly rejected anytime you aren't acknowledged, right? Especially by people that are in leadership positions. If you aren't acknowledged when you walk into a room, if your name isn't called in the top five, not even the top ten, it's just distraught. The whole rest of your day is just wrecked out, right? 
constantly seeking approval of others and suffering from people pleasing, always publicly trying to prove yourself. You see those people and you're like, what is going on there? Just spinning and spinning like, my gosh, what is happening is the fruit from the spirit of rejection. You feel like you're on the outside looking in, even when you're interacting on a solo level with people or in a group of people, you feel like you're on the outside looking in, like you can't find where you fit, right? And, and you're a hundred percent convinced that nobody understands you or what you've been through or what you currently go through. But the thing about it is God is one to answer those cries of our heart. When we're in that position, he's wanting to lift us up. He's wanting to open our mind and answer those cries and open us up with his light to see the lies that the enemy has planted in here and convinced us, yep, you may as well keep laying there with that same affirmity because even though this man is Saying, do you want to be healed? I may as well just keep laying here, right? But God is wanting to answer and fill that spot. Your destiny and identity, uh, uh, your destiny and identity are not sabotaged. It is not the end. You can go in and be made well without having to say, sir, but I have no man to put me in. I have all of that can be overridden, right? Let's look here. Verse seven, Jesus leaning over asking him, but he believes he needs. He says, sir, I have no man, but Jesus is patient. God is a patient God. And he's waiting on us to really evaluate and truly say, do I want to be made well, right? And the thing I also love is if you jump down to verse 13, he didn't a big display. Jesus did not make a big display of it. He went, he's probably strolling through and was like, mm, hey, do you want to be made well? And, and it proved that if you go down to verse 13, John 5, 13, but the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. So this man had no, Jesus didn't say, I am Jesus and I am here and I have the power from my father God and I'm going to make the thunder clap and I'm going to make the water roll out of this pool and do you want to be made? Do you want to be made healed? It was calm and simple. It wasn't a big pump and circumstance, right? Verse 13 clearly states and proves that the truth is the truth. The word is the word, right? And, and it says here, if we look at verse 15, right? But I've always known, and, and he, he always lets us know that it's him. We always know deep within that it's him. Because then if you go down to verse 15, John 5 and 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And we'll go back and cover this lesson again on the fact that a whole Sabbath, because that's a whole nother teaching off in there in itself, right? Mm -hmm. Says it several times throughout there. But that's a whole nother teaching. But if we look at that, he made it known that Jesus, and I'm quite sure people are like, wait, wasn't you that man that was laying by that pool? Oh, that how? Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Going out and glorifying and giving God the glory that we need, right? And he didn't complicate it. He didn't say, you know what? First, 
I'm going to need you to close your eyes. And then I'm going to need you to move any part of your body that you can move. Then I'm going to need you to chant this three times in a row. He simply said in verse 8, rise, take up your bed and walk. Again, not a bunch of pop and circumstance behind it. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. His words, Jesus' words spoke power into that man. He spoke healing into his body, right? The man believed and he obeyed, whereas he initially was convinced that he needed somebody to put him in. But clearly something click, click, clicked up here and he said, well, wait a minute. Mm. Ask me that one more time. Ask me one more time if I want to be healed. And I guarantee you if he said, okay. I'm going to whisper it one more time. He did not hesitate before Jesus. Yeah, heal me. Heal me right now. I'm quite, That's the way I picture it going in my mind, right? So no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what baggage it is that you're carrying, right? The truth is, you know, no matter what lies that we told, no matter what lies have been told to us, and, and to insert in, we've all lied to Jesus at some point. And the thing about it is he knew the lie before we told it. He was smirking as we told you, so I knew she was going to go on and continue and tell that lie. I'm just going to sit here and wait this out, right? And the wonder is... That even though he knows all of that, he still waits. Even now, as we sit with baggage, even now, as we sit believing the lies of the enemy, convinced, just full of the spirit of rejection, just reaching and searching for every little thing. But when the one true thing that we need, when the one true person that's saying, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? You remember we asked the leper, do you want to be made whole, right? He still will bend over and ask, no matter what you've done, no matter what people come against you and say, Jesus still says, is there anything I can do for you? What is it that I can help you with, right? And he doesn't want to hear the sobs because you can throw it in and he'll listen because he's patient. But guarantee you, he already knows because he says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Luke 19, 10. And it's also in a couple of other spots the same way. When he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Do not hesitate. No, without a doubt. He's already known the path that was laid out. He already knew all the lies, the deception, everything. Do not allow that infirmity to hold you back. When he leans over and whispers and says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? Are you ready to finally walk in the purpose that I have designed for you? The purpose, the path that is laid out for you. Are you ready to come off of this nasty mat that you've been laying on that's full of mites? Are you tired of laying here in this same spot, right? Be healed. Go and proclaim his glory, right? And if you believe in him, if you obey him, when you get up to start walking. You won't shake. You won't wobble. You won't have doubt. You will stand and walk in the fullness and the power of that which is Christ. Amen. So I say don't delay, right? Oftentimes we get hung up and we can't move on to the person that we're destined to be because we're so, so tied to and, and just so encompassed and wrapped in what society, what people, what past hurts, what rejection what trauma has convinced us, the enemy has convinced us and fooled us into believing that we're only meant to be.
that we can't come out of that situation. So I say to you, rise up, take your bed and walk. When he leans over and whispers, if you lay down tonight, hey, Mamel, when you lay down tonight, if he leans over and says, do you want to be healed? Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Rise up. Take your bed and walk. Walk in the purpose that's destined for you. Walk in your glory. Tell people, let me tell you about what my God came in and did. The way I came in and say, not only did he bring me through 13 and a half years of molestation. Not only did he bring me through a, a, a traumatic rape event that took place as I was go, uh, going into my first year of college. Not only did he bring me through that, but he said, I'm going to really show up and show out in your life. You've been in this uh, uh, sexual immorality. You've been in the homosexual for, uh, lifestyle for 20 plus years. I'm going to say about 25, 26 years. I'm going to show what my power can do. I'm going to show you how to rise up. I'm going to show you and empower you to rise up and take your bed, Torah, and walk up out of this thing. But then what I need you to do is go out and glorify my name and show people what I've done in your life, to show people that the enemy can't come in and steal your identity and, 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 and as long as you step forward, right? As long as you remove yourself from by that pool, as long as you continue to watch my light, to watch my guidance and be the light of the earth that I've destined you to be, to go out, go out and glorify and speak my name. That's how it works. Being obedient and having that unbreakable, that unshakable faith, the knowing because his word says and it does not come back to us void if so the entire thing would be a lie because his word does not come back void it just does not that is not how any of this works so that's my message for you guys tonight rise up take your bed and walk when he says as in verse six do you want to be made well say yes lord yes lord i am ready for my healing i am ready for my deliverance i'm ready to take off these 200 bags of weight that i've been carrying from the spirit of rejection i'm ready to take off these 200 pounds of weight that i've been carrying from rape molestation abuse from alcoholism from whatever it is that has you laying down and sitting in an in infirmity. Whatever it is that has you crippled, let it go. Accept the healing and walk in the power of Christ. All right? I love you guys. I truly do. I hope you found something in this that encourages you. If there's some, we're all connected and meant to connect with others, right? If you know somebody, you say, you know what? I have a message that you might need to hear. Hit that little share button and share it out with them, all right? I love you guys. Until next time, walk good, do good, be good, 